Hi everyone and welcome to the Neurodiverse Universe podcast with myself Ben Holmes from Autism and Neurodiversity Coaching. Um, we have Julia Harris with us today who is a business founder with ADHD. Uh, so welcome Julia. Hi hi. Um, so as we we do on every podcast we have, we ask a few sort of standard questions and then we'll go into whatever we decide to talk about after that. Um, so the first question um, normally ask is when were you actually diagnosed uh, with the condition you have, whether you call it condition or whatever, um, so ADHD, so when were you actually uh, diagnosed? Yeah, so I'm not a, I'm not medically diagnosed. Um, I have um, so and we're talking timelines for myself. ADHD. The first time I had an assessment, which was a more around workplace type assessment, um, yeah. was 2018, 2019, um, and that was so it would have been 2019. My and actually I was trying to access services for my two. Um, young people, uh, one of whom my eldest is actually sort of 26 now, so it was about 24 at the time, um, yep. and my youngest is now 16, so they were about 13, 14 at the time. Um, and of the pe- of those of us that were available to have the first assessment, I was actually in place to do the first assessment, um, and it was just one of those things of going through and, uh, and many years wondered over my own neurodivergence and going down the tick list to go oh oh no oh dear <laughs> kind of all of the, the the furthest extreme right hand and every answer that I could say oh I have no problem with that was because the caveat was always because I've always known I was had such a problem with things I had so many coping mechanisms in place so for example I, I was super early for this or you know I'm earlier and over prepared for things I had that kind of hyper vigilance way of, of dealing with things yeah yeah no it makes complete sense complete sense um so when you sort of um found out about ADHD in terms of yourself what did that mean to you did it make any difference one way or the other yeah the immediate so interesting because of the work I've already already historically done so this has kind of been my area of speciality for like decades um and and I was already having worked previously in a school and I was having some issues with the way things were happening I'd left the school I'd already I was signed up to go to the ADHD foundation um like they do their big conference thing. And I was signed up to go to the conference and I'd done the assessments like the day before. So I kind of, what it meant to me was like, I literally just spent time thinking, well, if that's ADHD, like who's Julia? (laughs) It was literally this kind of, it was so the entirety of who I am, everything that everyone's kind of said, um, yeah, but you're a bit odd like that, aren't you, Julia? Or that's just you, Julia, or, you know, all of those kind of things, all of my life was literally that what is of course the executive functioning challenges and the emotional uh, differences. And for me, the um, as I've researched further going along, understanding my time perception is uh, very different. I understand how that works in the brain now and all that kind of thing. So I literally just kind of turned up at the conference and I remember speaking to, oh gosh, I'm not gonna remember her name right now. I did this last time I tried to mention her, uh, Janine of ADHD wise she was one of the people that I talked to at the conference and I remember saying to her just 
I don't even know who I am anymore. It's like, who, who, if that is ADHD, then there is nothing but that in this body. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of what it meant to me at the time was a real big questioning. I, I landed a couple of days later and began to sort of converge the two things together. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in terms of your family and friends, um, you know, were there any comments from them, good, bad, or anything sort of? No, just a kind of, uh, my my mum, for example, is, as she has found out more and learnt more as we've gone along the years, my mum is the one who's uh, the most convinced that I'm, I'm autistic as well. So she, she kind of um, has said that. Um, and But when it came to the ADHD, it was just like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it was just like this sort of, once they kind of, uh, understood what our more modern understanding is or more up-to-date and gradually more up-to-date understanding of ADHD is then everybody's like oh yeah that's Julia <laughs> do you know what I mean it's like <laughs> the two things are synonymous with each other so yeah 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 I get it and um so since, since you've well actually I don't know about this question I would normally say once you've had your diagnosis what support have you had but since you've you know, found out, have you, has there been any support there for you? Well, have you seeked any support? If you have, has there been any support there from anyone, whether it's anyone, really? Okay, so support is worth talking about generally anyway. Um, and part of my reason for not, um, I have ADHD, so the idea of being on a waiting list, because uh, this is one of the other things, I've had other assessments, uh, pre-assessment, for um, autistic and PDA um, as well. So I come up with a, a bunch of neurodivergent traits, which is understandable when we understand neurodivergence. Um, yeah. But the idea of being on a waiting list is uh, like even talking about the idea of being on a waiting list has turned my, tied my stomach in a knot. And, it's, and I wouldn't process that as, as anxiety because I my uh, experience of life is actually just that oppositional you know, it's just like, don't make me do it. And I want to throw an angry tantrum and throw myself on, on the floor. Kind of thing. So yeah. part of the process of not going for diagnosis is that concept of trying to wait for services. Um, and also at my age and probably my health, um, the chances of me taking a stimulant type medication. Uh, so going through the titration and things like that, I wouldn't want to do that anyway. So I use a lot of natural things I've always have done to cope with who I am. Mm -hmm. um but support wise also and i'm going to give a shout out to um uh, celebrate adhd here um so am i going to remember any names oh please forgive me so laura is um uh, one of the team and our the lady who runs it who who, who uh, founded it deserves me to remember her name right now but it's gone, my brain's gone blank so uh, but celebrate adhd started um, offering to support people through access to work applications. Um, yep. So I had understood and heard about access to work two years previously at the ADHD Foundation Conference. Um, and it, that to me, due to my neurodivergence, was even inaccessible just going on to, I'd gone on several times to look at, look at the .gov website, which is just basically start filling in a form that's got your name and your, you know, just your basic details. And I couldn't make myself do that. Um, 
So whereas when Celebrate ADHD started saying they were going to support people through that process, I was like, yeah, I might be the perfect person for this, uh, this experiment. And um, they said yes. And they started that process for me and then struggled um, as the process. So they did the waiting. I was able to do it because I wasn't officially waiting for anything. They were waiting. And so I didn't have the stress of waiting. Um, yeah. And that made that accessible to me. And they supported me uh, right up to the stage where it started taking off a bit more. And then I felt like I wanted to be in control. Um, so then I've kind of finished that process and I have a, a, a PA, VA um, team in place now to help sort of support me. So um, I'm not to so that even, and I'd like to highlight that for people as well, because a lot of people think you have to have a diagnosis in order to access uh, supports in the workplace and access um, uh as a as as an entrepreneur but if you are working then you deserve support in whatever barriers that you face whether you have a diagnosis or not and the same is true for example in schools with ehcps there's a lot of people that fall into um if a child doesn't have a diet you have to get a diagnosis first and of course diagnosis there's there's waiting there's privilege um depending on where you live in the country um, or how people will view you and offer you support. Uh, getting a diagnosis is um, financially to do it privately is too much for most people. Um, yep. And to wait on the NHS holds holds people back. So all of these services you can access without a diagnosis if you can identify the struggles that you're having. And if you're able to point to the struggles and just say, this is where I really struggle, then they'll, they'll support you. Um, or there are systems that can support you through school and through um, work. Yeah, no, I think that's very, very useful information. There. I think a lot of people find real value in, in hearing that, um, particularly, you know, with the access to work and because, um, uh, you know, obviously I'm aware of it, but I know there's still a lot of people that that haven't heard of it or, or, or maybe have heard of it, but don't think it's for them that they're able to apply for it. Um, I think obviously, you know, the bit where you said about not having a diagnosis as well, in some cases, um, I think that's very valid, very valuable as well. Um, there's a lot of people definitely would, would not know that either. So I think that's that, that's really good. Hopefully people listening will, will find some real uh, value in that as well. Uh, so thanks for sharing that. Um, so in terms, and I mean, just some of the things you mentioned there, like filling in forms and stuff, I'll... I'll come back to that potentially later on because I think that's a whole interesting thing to talk about in itself. Um, so in terms of um, other, whether you call them conditions, disorders, whatever word you use to describe mm -hmm. that, do you have anything else other than ADHD that you know of? You've mentioned uh, it potentially. Yeah, so um, I've had a couple of assessments. I definitely, uh, I just overall think differently i've spent so for the neurodiverse uh, complex ranks in the neurodiverse universe when i wanted to start helping in schools um i was actually employed um, and went into school as a, um, a behavioral uh, support kind of assistant um yep. due to my experience um in working in the field and there were a lot of times i was coming up against that's just your opinion that's just your opinion uh, <laughs> uh, i abandoned that particular role um and went away to um, really find the neuroscience and the studies. So we know that trauma-informed practices actually have, you know, we, un we understand how trauma affects the brain, how isolation affects the brain, all these kind of things. Um, and I wanted, um, when I was first 
looking at after my assessment, the question for me has been, especially with two children who present, um, who their neurodivergence presents more within the would fall into autistic diagnosis because mm -hmm. of the levels of sensory sensitivities um, and um, alexithymia um, or emotional dysregulation and those kind of things. When I really looked into um, with ADHD and started understanding, you know, how the neurodivergent um, there's lots of overlap between them. Um, but my main one that you can see so clearly from childhood right the way through from earliest. So there's the oppositional, the ADHD, the time differences, not understanding socially what's going on, um, all the executive function challenges. Well, those can fall under so many categories, but the dyspraxia, that's 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 just again that's a so clear right from outset from the childhood i was the kid that i if i catch a ball it's with my face <laughs> i can't run i can't sort of you know some people will walk and talk on their phone or eat and do things like that it's just like no and i can't like my sense of direction is I can concentrate as hard as I want. I can do my left from my right. I remember the teachers hammering that into me as a child. Uh, you have to write with your right hand and then you know your left from your right and all that kind of thing. But for example, um, standing in a cafe and watching the person make a hot chocolate with soy milk and a hot chocolate with dairy milk and just watching so closely and trying so hard because they're turning around and turning back and turning around and turning back and then they give me the two drinks and it's like you know this one is the soya one and this one is the milk one and I turn 180 degrees to walk away and I have no idea which one's which it doesn't matter I can't hold any of that in my head so I'm all the kind of yeah gangly can't run hypermobility struggled with handwriting um never know where i am i grew up by on the south coast most of the years so south was where the sea was and as soon as i moved inland i've been lost ever since <laughs> and half of the time even on the on the coast i realized getting the train to and from school uh, the maps in my brain would get flipped over halfway through so i i would think i was the wrong wrong way around so yeah all of those kind of things yeah just dyspraxic very dyspraxic <laughs> Yeah. And dyspraxic typing as well so i can spell them right and typing takes me ages i'm trying to look and look back and yeah i can watch all of the letters watch what i'm doing typing look up at the screen and what's on the screen is a completely different word to what my brain has just told my fingers to do yeah <laughs> yeah i can resonate with a lot of that i'll come back to that in a minute um yeah but i'll make a note because something else i'm gonna ask you um what's i forget otherwise um just in case anyone is watching this on YouTube at a later date, uh, my camera sometimes flashes um, because of where the sun shines through, so mm. apologies for that. I don't know if that affected you then as well. It's, but... it's not bothering me at the moment. I'm usually in a little world of my own. Queen of obliviousness is what I really am. <laughs> so hyper-perceptive or completely unaware. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Um, it bothered, probably bothers me more than anyone else, but I'll uh, I'll keep moving that if need be. Um, so uh, obviously mentioned dyspraxia, a few other things. So we'll come back to those if we have time. Um, sure we will do. Um, so I normally ask this question. Obviously, it can cause controversy, I guess. For someone, well, it's going to it's, it's an opinion. Um, 
So do you see, well, folks on ADHD, because um, obviously, well, you could say it for autism and ADHD, whichever you want, really, but do you see ADHD as a disability? So that is one of the questions, isn't it? I, I want to, one, first of all, big up everybody who is working in the field of neurodiversity and campaigning for change and working towards change. There are many hot potatoes within our community, when it, especially around language. Is a person neurodiverse? Are they neurodivergent? Uh, I'm one of those. Neurodivergent is the singular. Neurodiverse means you know more than one person. Um, for me, grammatically, but in the dictionary, dictionary definition, neurodiverse completely applies. The, the government uses that language, so that's one of our hot potatoes. And one of our other hot potatoes, of course, is disability. Um, there is um, a huge percentage of our population are actually disabled. They are completely underserved. Um, we are completely underserved um, when it comes to provision of services and, and accessible buildings. And, you know, so when it comes to neurodivergence, accessible forms of communication or just basic due respect as a human being and any of that kind of stuff. Um, I, Australia has... A, already adopted more specifically the term psychosocial disability um, in order to reach more people, to help more people gain support. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, and what I teach in my courses, so on the All On Board course, um, which is for parents uh, and educators and young people, um, I do teach about the evolution of the human brain Yep. and raise some questions for people. So, for example, um, when it comes to learning disabilities and difficulties and things like that, so dysgraphia, dyscalculia, uh, dyslexia, autistic brain, ADHD brain, um, our modern environment is very different to what would actually be a human environment. So a human environment um, our diet would be very different. Our surroundings would be very different. Our brain has evolved over, you know, millions of years, but say about 80,000 to 100,000 years as a more thinking man brain and 50,000 years of um, pictorial communication. Um, and then we get to sort of, you know, 4,000 years ago and some brains, some brains were very good at like making records of things. And so yeah. that became our sort of start first record keeping and books and things like that. 500 years ago, five, about 500 years ago, started printing books. And so the people who could read were this elite, very few, yeah. you know, and then that's been cascaded down as our, you know, we're supposed to live in this way. we become civilized and there's all this kind of um, pushing towards this normative state in society that is not actually supportive of being a human. Some types of human excel in that. And some types of human were more naturally, some types of brains or human traits are about exploration. Uh, so Dr. Helen Taylor has done a brilliant paper, which points predominantly to dyslexic, um, but also gives a, a nod and a mention to ADHD experience. Um, mm -hmm. And the fact that uh, it's like our brains are designed very differently. They've evolved over all of these thousands and thousands, thousands of years. And then for like, you know, for the last 20 years, so I'm going to look now, what would we do? 2022. Yeah, 25 years we've had the internet and everybody using computers. You know, smartphones is about 10 years, you know, and like books even short on that. So the way we meet society 
is our psychology, our neurology is very human and isn't a disability or a deficit in itself, but the way we fit interface with society, society is set up in a way that not only disables us, but moralizes against us as well. And those are, you know, formative pressures to create a labor market and that kind of thing. So um, I will, I, I consider myself disabled in society very much the same as I'm a night owl. I have typical ADHD, late onset um, body clock. Um, yep. And that means, so even, so 20% of our population, say uh, between 10 and 20% of our population are night owls and 10 to 20% are morning larks and everybody else kind of feels in the middle. Well, we yep. have a working world for everybody in the middle and the, 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 the morning larks, they wake up early and they get a head start on that working day and then they go to bed really early. And all of their mental health is fine. If you're a night owl, you have physiological impacts, um, higher risk of heart attacks, strokes, stress-related illnesses, inflammation-related illnesses, diabetes, um, and all that kind of stuff, just because your body clock is a night owl. And of course, if we were living tribally, communally, we would need people awake in the early hours. We'd need people to be awake late while everybody else, majority of people slept. It's what is a human body is designed for. So are our human bodies disabled? Some of us, yes, some of us no, but I think neurodivergence, uh, uh, I'm a great believer in social model of disability and our devaluing of people that cannot contribute, I put that in heavy inverted commas, productively yeah. in heavy inverted commas into this labour workforce that was, of course, originally um, based around industrial um, factories and things like that. So, yeah, that's my little rant on the, on the matter. <laughs> no, no, I think that's a really, really, really good answer. And I completely agree and resonate with that. That's, um, yeah, I... I can, what, it's funny, what, everything you've said there, I've sort of, I think that in my head a lot, but actually articulating it is not always easy. So I think you've articulated that exceptionally well. Um, as far as, I can't get my words out now, I'd even say like, for people who know nothing about neurodiversity, I mean, I know people in my life who sort of dismiss my own ADHD or whatever, and, or what, why do you have to go to bed at that time, or whatever, things like that. I'd love to just play that last five minutes and just say, right, just listen to that. I'm sick of explaining myself to people. Just just listen to that five minutes or so, and then whatever, we're a couple of minutes, and yeah. So yeah, I think that is really good. And like I said, that's exactly what I believe. I, I'm very interested in history as well. Um, so everything you described there, yeah, it's, it's something I'm really interested in myself. And like I say, if we lived in a different period of time then you know would we be classed as disabled etc etc there's all these questions so um mm. as you say because of society around us um because of the environment because of the people around us etc etc that that makes us disabled in one way but we're actually not but then there are some of us who are disabled as you've said so there's mm. yeah totally totally agree with that the line i always use um is that the only deficit i see neurodivergent people and if we're talking about just neurodivergence is um, we're less able to be less human our bodies and our neurologies cope less in this environment that's asking us to be less human in the first place so we're not as easily squeezed we're a bit more star-shaped or square-shaped or whatever so we're not so easily squeezed into the sausage machine or the round hole or whatever it is yeah yeah no definitely definitely agree and i won't get on to the whole nine to five sort of thing or 
we'll lose another half an hour, I think. If I go <laughs> yeah. That dynamic, I think. So, so yeah, it's uh, that could be a whole topic in itself, just how mm. we're pigeoned, well, not pigeoned, we're kind of, we've been forced to do that for so many years and now eventually we're realising, no, we don't have to do that. We're it's doing... not even beneficial or, or commercially logical or anything nowadays. You know, the world is changing so rapidly. Our young people need to be prepared for an entirely different world to how our education was, system was originally set up, all that kind of thing. And so, and for me, so I am sorry, I'm going to go mm -hmm. back to that, the, dis the disability right. question. Yeah. For me, dyspraxia affects me much more physically um, the, compared to some of the ways that I don't fit into society. And I absolutely, you know, when it comes to, uh, there's a very different experience. So uh, brains can, and our differences can affect our ability to speak as well as our ability to process written words. You know, there's, there's so many ways, ability to control the muscles of our bodies. So absolutely we are facing huge barriers and disability currently is the only protected characteristic that we've got in order to protect us. So whether we are physically disabled or psychosocially disabled, we absolutely currently in this in this um, uh, the setup that we've got, we deserve that to that to be a protected characteristic as a human being um, and help us access services to support us, or mostly just get rid of some really old, outdated attitudes and things that are just barriers that are completely pointless, absolutely don't serve anybody, but hold us back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, one hundred percent agree. Um. So next question, a completely random one, let's chuck in there is, what's your favourite colour? yeah that's like not a possible question that's not a question that's just like what's that what's your favorite color i'm like Erica, i can't there's not one color <laughs> is the answer to that i'm a real and in fact uh, i've always said to children children as a face painter children quite often ask me that what's your favorite color um and but mine is always combinations like i like purple and green and i like blue and green and i like you know there, there are lots of girls that come to me and it's always you find talking to human beings that always say well i like pinks and purples or i like blues and greens you know it, it tends to be a group of colors but yeah i'm a real it's got to be color 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 all the time more color <laughs> yeah that makes sense makes sense i don't know if there's a link there with adhd and that like for me like if anyone asked me straight away light blue without even thinking whether that's more like an autism sort of trait of mine, you know, I don't know. We'll have to do some more thinking. So, whereas, yeah, if you ADHD, maybe you just see all the colours, you're like, oh, I like that one, I like that one, and you just want to, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, maybe not. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a particularly artistic and visual, that's my sensory profile, is like I'm, I'm kind of hungry for that stimulation. Um, I'm going to need this one. This one is one of my favourite kind of things. So I use a lot of this as kind of iridescent um, material that reflects rainbow light, reflected light. Just that would be one of my um, self-stim type things that would be just lift me out of another of a aggravated state or it would be that reflected light. So that, that contains everything. Um, but I think also things like blue, for example, if you look at the studies, blue is the most favourite colour of human beings generally. So that's quite, it's quite interesting to see that there are particular types of people seem to like particular swathes of colour. It sort of seems to reflect something of personality, I think. Yeah, yeah, obviously more digging into that one. But yeah, no, it's, again, it's something very interesting, I believe. Um, So next question, do you, well, I presume you do, but so what are your special interests? Um, 
Yeah. yeah. Hum- uh, from tiny onwards, um, it's humans, just humans, humans' brains, humans' perceptions, um, and the nature of reality. Because I think from very young, people would talk about reality in really normal ways. And I would be kind of looking on and thinking, mm, uh, that's kind of not how, I don't get what you're talking about. <laughs> and how do you, and uh, my uncle recounted a story to me um, a few years ago, about five years ago now when my grandmother died. And he said, and he was only about nine years, 10 years older than me. So yeah. he'd have been all of like um, 15, 16. Apparently I utterly blew his mind because I was just like, what am I going to say? how like dreams are real when you're in them dreams are really real and right now is really really real and so how do I know what's really really real <laughs> kind of thing and he's just like uh <laughs> but that's been my question ever since is the nature of reality of my experience of everybody else's experience and and also the the not understanding knowing there was the secret language everybody else was speaking, even though there was, which I understand now. So this is where, when I've looked at the difference between, when I've explored, am I autistic? So I do have um, um, some sensory challenges, but I don't, uh, I don't experience anxiety the same way as is typically associated with autistic diagnosis. So for me, most of our diagnostic criteria are about trauma. <laughs> so if you have a traumatized person, Whereas my, uh, my anxiety response is generally, I'm going to hit it, smash it, shout at it, rather than um, anxiety that I understand as anxiety, it comes out as anger. Totally lost my train of thought there. Hang on a second. Special interest. Special interest. And the people and reality. So this, this invisible language that everybody seemed to know and understand that I couldn't understand and I couldn't get um, and when I actually heard, um, I'm not going to, uh, no, it's not Ned Hellingwell, the other gentleman that does about ADHD, I'm not going to remember his name either, um, talking about how when in a typical, neurotypical, the more average brains, these more sort of cluster type brains in the centre, tend to develop this inhibition um, and this internal voice that holds you back. And I suddenly realized that that was this, it wasn't everybody else was speaking an amazing language. They had just, their brains had developed inhibition and mine didn't. And I just was literally like, I didn't understand why suddenly people knew where to stop or knew not what to not say and all that kind of stuff. It was just like, and people say, oh, social skills. And it's like, it's not, so I just don't have the, so I'm just like, well, if I'm just telling the truth, how can that possibly be wrong? How can it be bad if it's the truth? I've been told that tell a lie is bad. Do you know what I mean? So there's the autistic black white thinking. So there's all these neurodivergences from that machine. But yes, yeah, so my special interests are all about that. People, reality, people, reality, people, reality. Yeah. And yeah. art, I suppose. Yeah. Which is expression of reality. So. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I completely understand all that. Um, I don't know if some neurotypicals were listening. I, I don't know. I don't know. Because I do. It make, makes complete sense to me. But yeah, be interesting. Um, yeah, cause it's one of those, isn't it? Like, you know, if you if you are both ADHD or both in that same sort of field, um, neurodivergence, or whatever, then yeah, you do understand it easy, don't you? So yeah, yeah the whole telling, whole telling the truth thing still riles me. Now I, I still have to. It still does my head in that people don't sort of <laughs> see that as normal. It just still baffles and, me. 
the one that makes me furious is telling off children for lying. And I'm like, it, I, I literally, you can see it in me, the, the fury in my body when a child is being told off. Both of my boys, the first time they lied, they told me lies, we celebrated in the house. We literally celebrated. We were like, oh my God, you're brain, you told a lie. It's like you've done something, this completely new, powerful, abstract thing that the brain has grasped for the first time. It's like, if you didn't see me, I might be able to tell you my reality is different to yours and you won't know. This kind of, this amazing concept that human lying is. And it's an essential life skill um, in, you know, in an emergency situations, in social situations, you know, varying degrees of lying and literally telling a child we don't tell lies in this household is a flat out lie. And I managed to not swear there. Um, <laughs> so it's just literally you're lying to a child's face all the time, telling them off for lying. And it's just like how an autistic or an ADHD, any, any brain that is going to see straight through social or not automatically know how to inhibit that. It's just going to say that there's a conflict in the evidence of what's happening and reality. So the amount of times that I've heard, you know, Julia, you can't say that. I was like, I just did. <laughs> what do you mean I can't say it? I just said it. <laughs> you know, it's all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, totally with that as well. Yeah. So, um, bit of a kind of a random question, I guess. So, if you could meet any celebrity, and I should add any celebrity or, you know, famous person from the past, present, whatever, um, obviously not future, but yeah, past, present, who would that, <laughs> who would it be and why? And you could just say no one if you want, it's entirely up to you. No, that's interesting. My brain immediately went, oh, I do want to meet someone from the future. Uh, <laughs> um, all of my ones, so it's quite interesting. All of my ones would be, um, like I would love to get to hang out with, or at least meet and spend some time and absorb some of people like uh, Maya Angelou, writing and poetry and um georgia o'keefe as an artist i love georgia o'keefe's work uh, somebody had seen my work said oh your, your stuff's like georgia o'keefe and i'd never heard of her and then went off and researched her and that was amazing so i think i'd like to experience some time with those kind of people but then there's also people like more mind-based and reality-based so like terence mckenna who was like psycho nor it's probably ethnobotanist or something like that officially so you know, trying different things to alter states of reality and exploring all of that. So those are the kind of people for exploring reality and art and things. Um, and other than that, it would all be about if you could, if I could sit with, you know, like Jesus, Buddha, you know, officially the people that we consider enlightened and actually get in and speak directly one-to-one -one on those kind of nature of exploring the nature of reality and what it is to be a human being. So yeah, those kind of people really. So, yep. And it does make me wonder what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> I just really, my happiest thing would be to hang out in an artist commune <laughs> and, and discuss philosophy with people. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Sounds good. And I, I like to ask that question because <clears throat> I get obviously different answers each time, even though everyone I'm interviewing, interviewing, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. yeah, I suppose interviewing, is, is neurodiverse, but there's different examples they come up with. Um, I tend to find, which is good, I tend to find the answer I get are more people that the general public won't have heard of. Um, oh, yeah, maybe. Which, is, which fits in with neurodiversity, I guess. Um, like, it's not like, oh, I'd like to sit... I don't know, Peter Kay or, I mean, not that I wouldn't want to meet him, obviously, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. People have a, the mainstream 
stuff like you get people that it might be someone from the early 1900s who, you know, is quite niche in terms of one field. He's very, you know, popular in that field. But yeah, I think that's quite interesting. So, yeah, I, I like asking that question. Um, So, yeah, this is a bit where we just talk about whatever. So I've made a few sort of things could talk about. I mean, if there's anything you particularly want to sort of talk about, please feel free to do so within whole new universe. Yeah, no, that last question, actually, because one of, one of the other people, uh, and again, you're talking about back through the ages, so Rumi, so Sufi poet, Islamic Sufi poet, all the mystics and people like that. And that's one of the things that I found really interesting about the ADHD brain. So my um, uh, significant other is autistic and has that real history brain that you were just talking about. We'll talk tell you the most amazing things about history and, and characters and people from history and my links back are always through the sort of spiritual path and as far as yeah we're struggling now to work out how to be decent human beings to each other and for like five thousand years or two thousand years and you know however many hundred years we've had all these voices throughout history that talk about how to be decent human beings to each other you know so i'd like to sort of um connect with that but the and the ADHD brain one of the things that I found through research because I'm also the family storyteller from my childhood and things like that um and that is that the ADHD brain has that tendency towards delta waves and theta waves even as an adult which is an, a more natural state for children but as adults our brains tend to shift into the, that more constant task positive um alpha and beta states for focusing whereas our ADHD brains was that little bit dreamy but it helps us remember things in a quite often in a lot of detail atmospheric detail and things like that because we kind of just shift back into the same state we were in uh, in, during childhood so I think that looking back in history and connecting all those dots probably does make a lot of sense for uh, neurodivergent brains because actually if you look at everyday life most of the time people say this is normal and you're like that don't make no sense to me (laughs) I get you on that um so, um, just a few things I, I was going to ask. So, you mentioned earlier that you grew up on, I think you said the South Coast, correct me if I'm yeah, wrong. Yeah, big um, chunks, yeah. So, whereabouts are you based now? What's the area of the country you're based now? Okay, so currently I live about half an hour north of York in a little, very pretty, um, like, market town. Ed- Ed- Edwardian market town, I want to say. I probably should know that more detail, but... Um, so about half hour north of York, I've been here for about five years now. Um, and uh, the, I had from the South Coast, I've moved around a lot actually. So I've lived in kind of Croydon and South London when I was younger and I've lived in Rotherham. And so I've got family where it's sort of everywhere. I'm the, I'm, uh, my, myself and my son are the only two living in Easing World. And we moved here because his he struggled very much to fit in in school in his where we were previously so we we moved here um and unlike me my youngest literally has wanted to go to school and has tried hard at school and turned up he has gone through school refusing times times he struggled as well so but i've kind of understood enough to help him uh, re-access education my eldest was about 50 percent mainstream ed- um, educated but that's why we're here because we needed to find uh, a school that would support his support him really so yeah I get it yeah yeah um so another thing you mentioned was dyspraxia um I always like to talk about this one just because 
in my opinion, just well, just my experience, generally most people have heard of autism, they've heard of ADHD, even though most people still don't know exactly what it is. Mm. A lot of people still don't seem to have heard of dyspraxia. Mm. Like, people have got dyspraxia, they're like, what's that? It's like as if I've just made it up. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if you have that, or if people around you tend to that have heard of it. I don't know if it's different with you, but... I think maybe uh, maybe I've become a bit... Um, Maybe I'm just not talking to as many people. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Perhaps all the people I tend to talk to are within the field somewhat or in education or in SEM. So yeah. there, there'll be a, a higher level of awareness. Um, I do. The simple fact is um, the autistic community have campaigned and worked diligently and very hard for like the last uh, 20 years, especially in this country, to yes. uh, do the awareness raising. Um, ADHD is something that had such a more frequently bad press image and there's always this kind of thing about oh I shouldn't be medicating children and children should you know you, you need to change your parenting style or oh my god uh, all those kind of things um, so they're much more in the news and newsworthy as being recognized um, whereas it, it's different in different countries so um I can absolutely see, so whether I have dys had dyspraxic handwriting, for example, as a child, or hypermobility problems, my eldest is, has dys dysgraphia, so really struggles, uh, or really struggled with writing. Um, and those kind of things, I don't know. Yeah, there's not enough awareness of them. And it, it just seems, if you think about it logically, it's so illogical that there's, the way that we're prioritized and set up our meritocracy in the system and things like that like as far as if you try hard and if you do well and if you've got the skills and if you've got the education and it's like all of this as i said earlier the cast this narrow intelligence has been cascaded to everybody for writing reading and writing as your form of uh, education for example there's so much shame and moralizing attached to the, those kind of neurodivergences that the people that are dyspraxic, dyslexic, dyscalculic, I mean, and there's changing now with dyslexia, the, you know, the change on LinkedIn to have dyslexic thinking as a strength and our understanding now of actually it's a completely different brain. And let's face it, writing is pretty modern technology <laughs> and reading is modern technology, you know, so it's like all of those things they're the poor sister and the poor brother when it comes to research and press attention and all that kind of stuff. So dys dyslexia, we've been hearing about for decades, so at least 50 to 60 years within the education system. Dyspraxia, I mean, it, I can remember dyslexia being a, a term, I think I remember dyslexia being a term when I was in, in school, even in the 70s, whereas being told that you know just keep your eye on the ball just keep your eye on the ball just keep your eye on the ball <laughs> it's like well this kind of mystical thing as soon as the ball was moving I was like I have no idea when the ball is how do I keep my eye on the ball I don't know where it is do you know what I mean it's like there was obviously no understanding of that what we now call I think it's called developmental uh, coordination disorder in schools isn't it DCD so and it's like it's hard to not argue it's a disorder when it's your body it doesn't do quite what your brain intends it to do um, but it's definitely all falls within that same neurodivergence. Where there's got to be strengths there as well. And I know okay. there's strengths, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I know there's the typical strengths, 
we talk about neurodivergent strengths as those overlapping traits the but for me even if you look into the issues themselves like my lack of maps in my brain or knowing where I am but that means there's no assumptions that I make about my environment or the hierarchy within a company or anything like that so it's like I will deal with the truth of the moment uh, and then there's more power in dealing with the truth of the moment than staying stuck with a, in a bunch of assumptions you know that kind of thing that's part of dyspraxia I think so yeah yep I agree and just with some of the things you said you struggle with dyspraxia early on would you say do you struggle with both fine skill uh, fine mode skills and gross mode skills i or, uh or? no i think my fine it's, it's a bit hard to tell isn't it because of course um yeah. from in inside out your experience of reality is your experience of reality so it's possible for my fine motor skills that's less obvious to everybody so when it comes to it like i can do sewing and fiddly buttons and i can do beadwork <laughs> i do artwork but it's not i don't there's quite often you know what my brain intends my hands do and what my hand will do are quite often two different things so i supposed to and certainly at school i definitely struggled with things like like my sewing would be messy compared to everybody else's or you know my handwriting oh i remember I eat my peas with honey. I've done it all my life. <laughs> it makes the peas taste funny, but it keeps them on the knife. That was literally this handwriting exercise that I had to do again and again and again because and again, they were, you know, tell it, you know, your handwriting needed to improve, all those kind of things. So I suppose I, I did have challenges, but like I didn't ride a bike till I was 13 when I finally managed to borrow a, like a seven year old's bike with stabilizers because like nobody wanted a 13 year old to have stabilizers. But once I was given the stabilizers at 13, within the space of a week or two, I learned to ride a bike. And so it's definitely the gross mode ones. My mum will talk about she bought my sister and I roller skates. And there's my sister skating around the backyard and me going round and round and round on one foot with one skate on. And me, and apparently that was, don't worry, mummy, I'll practice on the other one tomorrow because <laughs> I just couldn't stand up in the skates at all. <laughs> so, and that was my logic. If I practice this foot today and the other foot tomorrow, somehow they'll come together. But <laughs> that doesn't matter that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, um, obviously I, I, I have dyspraxia and mine's more the fine mode skills, so the handwriting, all the fiddly things that I call them as well, um, buttons, I always struggle with them. Um, whereas like throwing and catching a ball, I wouldn't say I, I'll say I was okay at that. I wouldn't, you know, wasn't exceptional, but I wasn't below average. So I, I didn't struggle with sort of gross uh, things in general. But obviously, I do know people that struggle with a mixture. So mm. yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, what you said about maps and sort of all that, you know, directions, all that sort of stuff as well. Um, I struggle with, um, like when you said with getting the drinks and you then you suddenly turn around and you don't know <laughs> like that. Um, yeah, that, but then explaining that to someone who, who does have, who has no clue, no understanding whatsoever, they just look at you in like as if you're, well, as if you're stupid or as if you're, yeah, you know, yeah. whatever, all these sort of things and, it's frustrating trying to explain that um you know directions getting lost so easily in in certain places you know you walk into a building one way uh, yeah to buy something you walk back out and you're like <laughs> which way do i go now yeah. 
Completely, completely. And I, I like um, I like trying to join in uh, with my kiddos, um, with computer games, things like that. And I love um, um, Minecraft. I've been playing since I was 40 uh, and that kind of thing. And it's like them watching me on screen and trying to stifle their, you know, it's like I can't make the character sort of, I have to just sort of move sideways or forwards. I can't turn and do anything. It's like they always give me like diamond armor and stuff like that just so I can survive. But yeah, and that feeling stupid. But the thing is, and again, so this is part of what I teach on the course, human brain, they've extrapolated, estimated um, that the human brain is processing 400 trillion bits of information per second. 400 trillion bits of information. Your cognitive awareness for the average person is about 50 bits per second. And when I say cognitive awareness, I mean your awareness of the screen in front of you, the sort of sensation of the room around you, uh, the light levels, you know, any noise that you've got going on, the conversation we're having, the thinking in your head, those kind of things. You're cognitively aware of about 50, out of 400 trillion, about 50 bits per second for the average person. An autistic brain, is estimated to be aware of because the way the pruning is done differently or the filter system uh, further down in the brain, um, it doesn't operate the same way and the brain chemicals don't operate the same way. So an autistic brain, for example, is estimated to be aware of about 120, 130 bits of information per second. So that's double to you know two and a half times as much general information you're trying to process. Um, yep. Plus, you actually have cognitive control, and this is anybody, over a maximum of two to four bits of information a second. So this kind of concept of the working memory and having a, a, um, a working memory that doesn't hold the information so well. Well, we have a working memory that just dumps out information much more quickly because we've got so much information to sort through. And if we're explorers, we don't want to, it's like when you're driving, learning to drive, which I didn't actually do till about five years ago, is the most yeah. powerful thing because when you're driving, what's just happened, you have to let go of. Even if you just had a near miss, you can't be thinking about it 300 yards down the road. You need to be thinking about what's in front of you. And that's like a, a, a brain that dumps out this cash from the working memory. So for somebody that says to you, are you being stupid? And it's like, well, no, I'm actually just more aware of all of my environment, all of my surroundings. I have stronger signals from my body, possibly. So I'm a very highly interceptive aware, aware person. Um, so I have all of these signals or I'm thinking about all of the situation. I'm trying to hold one or two bits of information. And as I turn around, my brain re-goes, is the area around me safe? So it's not thinking, is it important? What's in my two different hands? My brain is immediately, as I shift through the environment, is this environment safe? And it will go, does it matter which hand what is in? No, that's gone out the window. So that information is not disappearing. It's not being stupid. It's just having a brain that's operating entirely differently. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, oh, no, I'm, I'm I'm really interested to listen to what you're saying uh, in terms of the well, all of it, but in terms of the um, I don't want to say the scientific, yeah, I suppose the scientific side because I think that is there's different ways of learning things. I think putting things into context that way as well is great in terms of you know the fifty uh, per second as opposed to hundred you know hundred plus per second. I think stuff like that really is important to, to hear as well. I think because it puts into numbers for people then so then they can think oh wow you know if an autistic brain's processing that all that extra stuff per second then mm. 
obviously that's why things are different. That's why you know um, you forget things or you get overwhelmed or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, and I think that's really important. Um, so for those of you who are watching on video, if we ever get it on video, the flashing is doing my head in. Um, so yeah, just I mean there are other things that we could talk about, but just in terms of your work, because we haven't talked too much about, is there anything you want to sort of talk about, particularly in terms of what you do? You know the different businesses you have. Um, yeah, I, ha I have a neurodivergent brain and a very ADHD brain, so uh, everybody's trying to contain me <laughs> and channel me towards at least one thing. Uh, the work, the message that I'd really like to get across to people, and the things that I produce um, uh, by through Complex Strengths in the Neurodiverse Universe, is really to start putting this information into the hands of children and young people from very early on. Um, so I've got games on the site that are easy, even as easy just to play snap with, you know, between um, uh, executive functioning strengths, which are the things that a neurodivergent brain can have, uh, is, have more challenges with, the executive functioning measure really essentially being how they diagnose as well, um, ADHD. Um, so we don't have those as our most easy strengths to develop, but we do have other things that come much more naturally for us and easy strengths to develop. So in games of, you can play Snap or, or um, you know, uh, Happy Families or matching games, everything for a tiny, to information posters, to neurotransmitter bingo or the brain game where we look at a body budget and emotions and how we take care of our physical body, how that affects our brain. So these things are designed for the whole class or the whole family to use and work with that all start giving us language so that if we have sensory differences, um, if we have perceptual differences, if we're saying right from early on, instead of saying, this is reality, this is red, this is blue, this is green, this is one, two, three, four, five, you know, and this is the basic form of reality. We all do this, don't we? We all sit on the mat now, right now. We like to keep our hands still. We don't like to shout in the classroom. I'm like, actually, I love shouting in the classroom, but there you go. So if we can move away from this big neuronormative we, that's what I do is try to provide scientific understanding as to why th those things are not real or they're not fair, they're not fair. <laughs> they're not based in truth and reality and give um, kids games and things like that to play with right from early on so they understand this, these differences and have a language to express themselves with from very early on. So that's the kind of more, most important bit of my work, I suppose. The stuff that I actually do a lot of the time is go face paint with children and children's entertainment and stuff like that. So I get to hang out with the kids more that way. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fun. Sounds fun. Um, is there any other sort of companies you have at the moment uh, or anything else you're involved with um, at all. I'm starting to um, I'm helping um, so I've been doing inset, inset training with teachers um, and um, working with uh, another big organisation that are training um, people to help support entrepreneurs and neurodivergent entrepreneurs um, so I do work with adults I also do um, a bit of coaching and mentoring so um, through what is an aspect of complex it's called co-illuminated which is basically our human brains are designed to work in tandem with each other in these co-regulating ways and ex expanding ways and meta-learning that happens when you're in a group and that kind of thing so coaching um, and using art drawing and talking uh, therapy as a way to process because as neurodivergent adults and I'm still it's been a massive journey for me uh, over the last two or three years and um 
from the experience I've got from talking to people, um, men or people that have had a life as a male and people who had a life as a, a female tend to have these different responses and the females tend to be immediately a bit more compassionate and understanding, but still too hard on themselves and expect themselves to do too much. Uh, and the guys tend to do grieving and getting angry as a more immediate response. And whereas I think the women tend to go, oh, be compassionate and understanding. And then later on, so I'm certainly still doing grieving and getting angry about things and upset about things later. So for me, doing using art as a way to process those energies um, is probably, uh, yeah, I think that's really healthy because when it comes to talking and talking therapies, that doesn't always work so well with the neurodivergent brain sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. so there's so many things we have to be aware of. Whereas for me, finding a way of catharsis for that energy is uh, is a good thing yeah no i totally understand that um so yeah um is there any anything else and there's a couple of things i can just mention before we start to wrap it up in a bit but um is there anything else you particularly would like to talk about I would say no, and then I go, <laughs> but no, if there's a couple of things that, any questions or anything it's raised um, for you, then I'd love to hear them. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, um, you mentioned, again, a bit of a controversial one, I guess, uh, the medication sort of mm. side of it. Um, we don't need to, you know, talk about it for a lot. I mean, just, just on that. So I'm right to thinking that you're, for yourself, you're against it for yourself. Um what's your well what yeah what's your opinion on the whole medication for ADHD I guess I yeah. I do sometimes when I'm having um when I'm emotionally struggling um so sometimes uh, like when I am tired or I'm burnt out or I begin to become emotional um and or when in communication uh, if there's communication breakdown um, and a relationship is suffering then those are the times when I'm most likely to think perhaps I should, and it's like the sentence that goes through my brain, I go put being inverted commas, perhaps I should go get medicated. Do you know what I mean? It's like, perhaps I should get fixed. I'm used to a lifetime of knowing and understanding that I'm a problem somehow. In the classroom, I was a problem. You know, in the team sports, I was the problem, whatever. The, the, the concept is that I'm the problem. Um, so when I am tired and down, I do think maybe maybe if there's something a pill I could take <laughs> that would make my make all this come online and be much more easy for me then should I do I have responsibility to do that as a human being in order to make myself more productive and uh, benefit relationships with other people etc um, however <laughs> as soon as I take any of the steps self-help steps like um, um exercise making sure i've drunk well making sure i've rested making sure i've got like you know nutrients and supplements um then my i, I shift into i'm much more able to focus and i come into emotional equilibrium you know i use um I sit, I'm sitting now on a wobble ball, you know, and I've got, a, I haven't got it out today, but I have like an electric zappy thing to put my feet on while I work. I use um, binaural beats to alter my brainwave patterns so that I can focus on work. And if I use those for a few days, that works for a few days longer after that. So my understanding of it and the fact that, I mean, I don't generally even take aspirin or paracetamol or anything like that. I'm a sort of CBD oil and, um, you know, mushroom tinctures and things like that. So my... I've historically, I've, I've uh, studied shamanic 
did four years shamanic and nutrition type things and all those kind of things so i tend to lean on those things i have no personal objections for people trying medication at all but it's something that i tend to resist putting in my body at all anyway as well mm -hmm. yeah no very similar to well i very similar to myself minus the um the stuff you do take instead I, I tend to not have anything but um i think it's it's something i'm still exploring um you know there's, there's so much to learn isn't there in, in that in itself so it's it's a constant learning mm. and the yeah. thing is it's about balancing all your brain chemicals so there's a lot of um push to do like the cold showers to create a, an even dopamine spike and things like and not a spike but an even dopamine so it's basically if you put your body through pain and suffering <laughs> afterwards when you stop your your brain will produce dopamine on a nice even upward trajectory so that can help with things but it's understanding that we also need you know, oxytocin, serotonin, we need to be happy where we are, we need to be happy in our connections. So it's doing a lot of things that really basically, if you think about what would a human being naturally need, they naturally need each other, they naturally need warmth, we naturally need to be connected, supporting each other, we need to feel like we're part of a network, we'd be grooming each other and physically touching each other, we'd be out getting, hunting things, it's about if you think about what things would naturally support a human being, those things can be very beneficial uh, to an ADHD type or um, a neurodivergent brain. That's not to diminish all of the disabilities um, that we have in society and everything down to, they can just easily be done like that. Of course, some people's experience are more um, a, a stronger neurological differences, you know. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, what's, you mentioned a few minutes ago about, you said the, the thing for your feet, the zap, the zap. <laughs> What is that exactly? Um, um, okay, do I have one fancy? No, I've got things around me. So no, it's um. So if you Google like circulation booster, so they're designed for um older people that are sat sedentary in chairs, and um you put your feet on them, and it's like a tens machine. It sends the electrical currents into your feet. Uh, and so like Bruce Lee used to use for like building up his muscles and he'd be have like the electro stimulation to work his muscles while he was um, working. I saw that in a film once. That's kind of what I remember. So why that came to mind. Um, but it's the same thing for your feet and it boosts your circulation in your legs and it flexes the muscles in your legs and your feet. And I find when I sit down to work, if I use that, it's like my body doesn't need to get up and walk around. It doesn't keep making me want to get up and go somewhere else. It kind of goes up. It feels yeah, it just immediately feels calming. So the idea of I pulse electricity through my feet so my body calms down. <laughs> it makes, I understand. Does it, does it help you? Because sometimes occasionally, if, does it stop you going nodding off to sleep on the, on the opposite side of it? Or does it make it more soothing and relaxing? Uh, what, the electrical stimulation on my feet? Yeah. I think it just I think it just stops my body feeling like it should be running around and exercising and hitting things. It's generally one of my strong feelings. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a, I'm a kind of like workout wise. I have a vibro play. I like to do weights and things like that. I'm a real, you know, and you can see it in some of our young people. I'm a resistance. I want to lift things, pull things, push things. Oh, my youngest. Oh, bless. We just, and um, I have to check in with him and say, I hope I haven't started you with this, but we just took to call it. I won't mention his name uh, because he, he won't appreciate that, but sorry, I wrecked it and his name because he literally as a kid it was like if you put anything in his hands it was immediately pull it bend it push it twist it 
anything on the side can I shove a pencil in through it it was just like this constant testing of reality physically so I think that that electrical working of my muscles just helps my body think it's doing something while I sit and work on the PC that kind of thing yeah. and yeah. then yeah the exercise yeah I sleep much better I've, I've earthing sheets I've used those to help with my sleep magnesium anybody and and I'm going to say menopausal women with ADHD make sure you're taking magnesium especially close to bedtime and you're sleeping an awful lot better <laughs> that would be my I'm not a doctor to take this advice as, as medical advice but experiential advice would say do those kind of things for your body to help yourself yeah yeah no I understand <laughs> um right so I think um uh, yeah it's coming towards the end unless there's anything you want to sort of particularly say I think um yeah, like thank you for being on on the podcast. Uh, I think it's been really informative. I think people listening will definitely take a lot from this. Um, yeah, hundred um, percent. So yeah, thanks for being on. Um, is there anything you'd like to say just just before we start to sort of wrap it up? No, just uh, thank you very much for inviting me over, and it's great to meet you face to face. I've seen some of your videos and listened to your podcasts and things, and uh, just to everybody that's out there doing the work. I just constantly feel we all some of, there's lots of different opinions and things out there, out there, but we're all working hard and we're all trying to achieve the same changes and aims in the long run. So just everybody keep on at it, and if you see me out there, give me a little nudge of support as well. So because like, there's definitely the days where it's like, why am I even doing this? I'm too tired. <laughs> I'm too old <laughs> so yeah just go, go out there keep going and enjoy it yeah no lovely so uh, yeah thanks Julie thanks for being on and thanks everyone for listening we'll catch you next time